0: Chapter Ten of Christina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Capricia Page. Christina by L. G. Moberly. Chapter Ten. It is only he who matters. Christina's thoughts that evening often travelled to the silent valley, and to the beautiful woman with the anguished face, who had made so profound an impression upon her. Having tucked Baba safely into her cot, and heard the soft breathing which indicated that the blue-eyed baby was sleeping, Christina returned to the sitting-room, and drawing an armchair close to the fire took up a novel in which she was deeply interested. But to-night her thoughts refused to follow the checkered fortunes of her heroine, and she no longer felt herself the least thrilled over the approaching climax of the story. The strange piece of real life into which she had been unwittingly plunged interested her far more than any heroes or heroines of fiction, and she soon found herself with her book on her lap and her own eyes fixed on the glowing coals, whilst her mind recapitulated all the events of the past few hours. It is just like something entrancingly exciting in a melodrama, she reflected, that lonely house, and the beautiful lady with the white face, and that silent valley. Remembering the silence in the valley, she shuddered a little, and wondered whether the lady of the unfathomable eyes, ever minded the loneliness and silence, whether sometimes she was afraid, down there in the stillness of those shuddering woodlands. "'I don't suppose I shall ever know any more about her,' the girl's thoughts ran on, "'but I should like to see her again. I never saw anybody like her in my life before, and she looked so sad. I wish I could have helped her more.' From this point her reflections passed on to subsequent events of the day, to her own audacious stopping of the big motor, to the gray-eyed man whose failure to recognize her had given her just a tiny pang of regret, to the blue-eyed man who had looked at her with an admiration to which she was quite unaccustomed. The memory of it brought a little flush to her face, even now that she sat alone in the firelight and brought with it too a stab of resentment. I don't think I quite like anybody to look at me like that," she thought, and after all, even if I am only a nurse earning my own living, I am still a woman." She drew up her head with a proud gesture characteristic of her, and then her reflection slipped away from the two men who had driven her to the doctor's house, and wandered on to the doctor himself. I like that man," she murmured emphatically, lifting her foot to push a protruding cove between the bars. He wouldn't ever look at any woman as if he didn't respect her. And a woman might put her whole trust in him, so she might in that other. Rupert's face rose again before her mental vision, and she wondered, as she had wondered many times that afternoon and evening. What was the pain that had carved such deep lines in his face, and brought so haunting a look of misery into his eyes? His eyes seem as if he was looking all the time for something he has lost, she thought, repeating her former musings. Perhaps if he is the Lady Cecily's cousin, I may see him again some day. I wonder what his name is besides Rupert. I only hear him called Rupert. She leant back in her chair, her book still upon her knee, her eyes seeing many pictures in the coals, pictures in which a man with a rugged face and kind green eyes seemed to be continually walking beside a tall lady, with a beautiful white face and eyes of unfathomable sadness and mystery, until the pictures merged themselves into dreams and Christina slept peacefully. A loud knocking at the door startled her into wakefulness, and jumping to her feet she confronted Mrs. Nairn, who looked at her with injured amusement. "'Been asleep by the fire, Missy, I suppose. I couldn't make you hear no how. Knock as I might. There's a gentleman in a motor-car at the door, wanted to speak to you all in a hurry.' "'A gentleman in a motor, wanting me?' "'Christina asked, feeling that she must still be in the world of dreams. "'Well,' he said, he wanted to speak to the young lady who was staying here with the little girl. "'Mrs. Nairn answered, and Christina, a faint hope, stirring at her heart that Lady Cecily's cousin, "'might have come to ask her about Baba, went quickly to the farmhouse door to be greeted by Dr. Ferguson, "'who awaited her with obvious impatience. "'I came to see if I could get some help from you,' he said with no other preamble. I have been to the house in the valley, and, and things there are pretty bad. But how can I help? Christina asked. I want you to come back with me to the house, and stay there for the night, with the lady of whom you told me to-day. I could not do that, Christina answered decidedly. It is out of the question. I am here in charge of the little child. I could not go away for the night and leave her. Wouldn't she be safe with the woman of the house?' Ferguson asked imperiously, "'She looked to me a very reliable body.' Although they were alone at the door, he and Christina spoke in low voices. Perhaps some of the mystery of the lonely valley and shut-in house lingered with them still. "'Mrs. Nairn is in every way reliable, but Lady Cecily, my little charge's mother, has trusted me so entirely. I should feel I was abusing her trust if I did what you ask.' "'I am at my wit's end to know what to do.' was the answer. I don't profess to be able to understand the inwardness of all I saw of the house I have just left, but it is plain that there is some vital need for secrecy. I can't possibly send a woman from the village to these people, and yet they must have somebody for the night. I came to you because I am sure you can hold your tongue. Certainly I can do that. Christina laughed a little and drew more closely round her the cloak she had snatched from its peg as she came to the door. And I would gladly, oh, most gladly do anything I can do to help that poor lady. But my duty seems to lie here. I should only ask you to come for a few hours. I will undertake that you shall be back here before your little charge is ready for you in the morning. It is vitally necessary that some one should be with that poor lady, as you rightly call her, and my thoughts flew at once to you.' "'I wish I knew what was right to do,' Christina said wistfully. And at her words dr ferguson sprang from his car and seized her hand in his i will tell you he said firmly it is right to come with me i will explain to mrs narn as much of the circumstances as it is necessary she should know and i have no doubt she will come to the rescue go and fetch whatever you will need for the night it will be a night spent in sitting up not in bed and i will settle the good woman Swept off her feet by the masterfulness which brooked no resistance, Christina obediently did his bidding. And when she returned to the door, found Mrs. Nairn in close conversation with the doctor. "'There, Missy, that'll be all right. Never you fear,' she said as Christina appeared. "'The doctor, he've been telling me there's a poor lady in great trouble, and that you could comfort her by sitting up with her a bit. Why, I'll be sleeping with the little Missy, with all the pleasure in life.' and you could feel as safe about her as if you was here yourself. When the doctor had handed her into the car, and they drove swiftly away, the girl felt as if she were a mere puppet, whose strings were being pulled by Ferguson's strong hands. She had a curious sense of helplessness that was not wholly unpleasant. So dominating was the personality of the man who sat beside her, that she was convinced he was only doing what was right in whirling her away with him through the darkness and his brown eyes were so steadfast so reliable that when their glance met hers she felt safe. He spoke scarcely at all to her, until they had turned off the moorland into the steep lane that led to the house amongst the woods. Then he said quietly, steering the car at a walking pace, I found an uncomfortable state of things in the house to which we are going, when I got there to-day. Was someone very ill? Christina questioned. The lady said a matter of life and death. It was certainly that, he answered grimly, considering I was only just in time to save her from being murdered by as violent a homicidal maniac as I ever saw. Oh! Christina exclaimed with horror. At first I couldn't get into the place at all. Then a servant came to the gate, and she seemed in a terrible state, no wonder— She took me into the house, and in one of the rooms I found a lady of whom you have been speaking, in the grip of the madwoman, lighting for her life. My God! I was only just in time. It seems the woman had been ill, and had paroxysms of what they thought was delirium. As a matter of fact, it was acute mania, and, as I say, I was only just in time. What have you done with— Christina broke off with a shudder, but Ferguson saw that her face was white. With the unfortunate madwoman, I have secured her for a time, and I mean to drive her over tonight to the nearest asylum. But I must take the servant with me, and that is why I want you. Your beautiful lady cannot be left alone. I thought it must have been a man who was ill, Christina said. She certainly spoke of him and he. I saw no man, only the madwoman and a servant and why is there all this mystery christina said the bewilderment in her voice what makes so much secrecy necessary ah that i do not know the doctor answered gravely i cannot understand it myself but it is quite obvious that for some reason the lady of the house is most anxious to keep her whereabouts hidden from the world And when one looks at her, one feels it is impossible to do anything but respects her wishes. And help keep her secret, whatever it may be, he added under his breath. My beautiful lady has bewitched him too, Christina reflected shrewdly, and for the rest of the way spent her time in silently speculating upon what lay before her. The green door stood ajar now, and a lighted lantern had been placed on the ground just inside it. By its rather uncertain light, Ferguson led her across the garden and into the hall, where a wood-fire was burning brightly. They did not, however, linger here, but crossing it ascended a wide staircase to the floor above, on which were several rooms. The door of one of these stood wide open. A stream of light from it flooded the landing, and the doctor, tapping gently on the door, entered, Christina following him half fearfully, dreading what she might see but no dreadful sight met her gaze. She only saw a simply furnished bedroom, and in the bed propped up by pillows, and with her face turned anxiously toward the door lay the beautiful woman, whose image had haunted the girl ever since the afternoon. She looked, if possible, even wider than when she had accosted Christina in the lane, and her eyes seemed darker and more heavily penciled with shadows but she greeted her visitors with a smile and held out her hand in welcome. "'How good of you to come!' she said, grasping the girl's hand in her nervous, clinging clasp. "'How very good of you! I think I should really have been quite safe, just for a few hours. But the doctor would not let me stay here.' "'Alone!' Ferguson exclaimed, when her sentence remained unfinished. "'Certainly not!' "'Now, see here, miss,' he paused and looked at Christina. "'It sounds very absurd to say so, but I don't know your name,' he added. "'Moore,' she answered. "'Well, Miss Moore, all I want you to do is sit with this lady, see that she takes some food through the night, and don't allow her to worry about anything.' A faint laugh broke from the woman in the bed. "'What an easy order to give!' and what a hard one to carry out,' she said. "'But I will promise to try and keep my mind at rest, as far as possible,' she added under her breath. "'And you are taking poor Marian, where she will be safe and well cared for? "'I am taking her where she will do no one any harm,' Ferguson answered grimly. "'And I will bring your servant back as soon as I can. She is a treasure, that servant of yours.' I think she is worth her weight in gold was the quiet answer she is more than servant she is friend a faithful loyal friend you are fortunate to have found such a one ferguson smiled and now i must go and get that poor soul away and miss moore will keep you company and take care of you until i bring your servant back as he spoke the last words he was gone closing the door softly behind him and carrying with him some of the sense of health giving strength and vitality with which his very presence seemed to fill the room. Unusual as was the position in which she found herself, Christina had sufficient perception to see that the nerves of the woman she had come to tend were already stretched to the breaking point, and that of a normal manner and matter-of-fact way of taking the situation for granted would do more than anything else to relieve the tension. She took off her hat and cloak, therefore in quiet deliberation, unrolled the dressing-gown she had brought with her, and was proceeding to hang it over the chair before the fire, when her patient said suddenly, "'Watch them go. Tell me when they have gone. Tell me when you and I are alone.' Christina moved from the fire to the bedside. "'You want me to see them off to the gate?' she asked, and the other nodded. Yes, lock and bolt the gate after them. When the doctor comes back we shall hear him. But the door must be locked behind them now. Her voice rose in feverish excitement. Her hands moved restlessly on the sheet, and her eyes were bright with eagerness. And Christina could have sworn that fear looked out of them too. Of course, I will go, and do as you wish, she said very gently, and her hand stroking the restless moving hands. You will lie very quietly here whilst I am gone. Yes, oh yes. The accents were impatient. Only go. Go down now. They must be ready to start. Slipping on her cloak again, Christina ran downstairs, pausing halfway as she heard the sound of voices and footsteps coming from the corridor that intersected the hall, and that was just out of sight. Carefully lift her feet a little. Take care round this corner, so— she heard the sentence jerked out of the doctor's voice, and from her post of observation she presently saw him emerge slowly into the hall, walking backwards, holding an inanimate woman's head and shoulders in his arms. Holding her feet, bearing half the burden of her unconscious form, was a tall woman of the servant class, upon whose face the rays of the hall-lamp fell fully, and Christina could see all the shrewd kindliness of the plain features. "'Gently. Wait a moment to rest. There, that's right. Now then. Ah, the lantern!' he exclaimed. "'We must have the lantern across that dark garden. I will bring the lantern,' Christina crawled out, rather tremulously, but running down the stairs without delay. "'I was sent to lock the gate after you. I can light you across the garden.' She picked up the lantern from the hall table upon which Ferguson had placed it, and with one shuddering glance at the flushed, heavily-breathing woman who was being carried from the house, she put herself at the head of the strange little procession, lighting their footsteps as well as she was able. It was no easy task to lift the unfortunate creature, first through the green door, then into the car, but Ferguson being an athletic man, with muscles in excellent order, and the tall servant being strong and well-built. Their joint efforts succeeded in laying their burden along the cushions. Christina stood at the door for a moment, watching the car turn up the lane. When its brilliant lights were engulfed in the darkness, she turned back with a shiver into the garden, locking and bolting the door with trembling fingers and running up the dark path, as though all the powers of evil were at her heels. The front of the door of the house she secured as firmly as the other. Then more than half ashamed of the nameless terror that shook her. She sat down for a moment on the oak chest by the fire. "'You silly coward,' she said to herself. "'You know you and the sick woman are alone in the house, and what are you afraid of?' But for all her attempt at courage, as she flew up the stairs again, she repeatedly looked over her shoulder with a nervous dread of she knew not what. "'Have they gone?' safely gone, and is the door locked?" The words greeted her ears directly as she entered the bedroom upstairs, and the dark eyes of the woman in the bed looked at her, with agonized questioning and dread. "'Yes, they have driven away, and everything is locked up. And now I want to make you comfortable, and poke up the fire, and we shall be quite cosy in this nice warm room.' Christina spoke cheerfully. All trace of her own nervous fears had vanished. She was intent on calming the troubled woman, whose feverish excitement was still only too apparent. "'Nice and cozy. the woman laughed drearily. "'I can't rest quietly until I know he—' "'Can I trust you?' She pulled herself bolt upright in the bed and looked fixedly at Christina. "'Will you be silent about everything you see, everything you hear?' "'Why, of course.' But you will try and go to sleep now, won't you?" Christina said soothingly, with a startled certainty that her beautiful charge must be delirious. "'Go to sleep!' The dreary laugh came back again. How could I sleep? I must lie here. There is no help for that. Marian has done her work well, though, poor soul. She did not mean to harm me. But I can't lie here whilst he—' "'Will you promise to keep silence?' "'I promise.' Christina said hastily, intent on quieting her at any cost, is there something you want me to do?" The other nodded. "'Go along the passage that leads off this landing, and knock at the third door on the left, and ask my—the person who is there—if there is anything he needs.' We could do nothing for him, whilst Marian, and the doctor. She dropped back upon the pillows with closed eyes, and so exhausted a look, that Christina bent over her, too anxious about her well-being to think of th- her own surprise at the order just given her. "'Never mind me.' The dark eyes opened, the brows drew together in a frown. "'Only go to him, and do what he needs. I shall be all right. It is only he who matters.' unfeignedly puzzled and with all her nervous tremors trooping back upon her, Christina went across the landing and turned along the passage as directed. Who and what was she going to find in that third room on the left? And why was there a necessity for all this secrecy? Her heart beat very fast, so fast that it nearly suffocated her, as she passed on and paused at the third door, wondering again with a sinking dread what new mystery was to be revealed to her. To her soft knock the man's voice responded—'Come in!' And she entered a warm and luxuriously furnished apartment, which appeared to be a sitting-room and bedroom combined. Closely wrapped in a thick dressing-gown, and seated in an armchair by the fire, was a man whose cadaverous face and sunken eyes seemed to show recent recovery from some severe illness and his efforts to rise when he saw a stranger in the room only resulted in his sinking back with a groan. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'Why have you come? Where is Madge?' Christina fancied she detected a faint foreign accent in his words, though he spoke fluent English. "'I was sent by—by the lady of the house,' Christina answered. "'I don't know her name, but she is very tired.' She substituted that word for ill when she saw how the sick man started and flushed. She asked me to come and see if there is anything you need." "'Madge, tired,' he said in a slow, dreamy voice. "'It is so difficult to think that Madge could be tired. She used to be such a tower of strength, always such a tower of strength.' His sunken eyes glanced wistfully at Christina. She felt compelled to utter some words of comfort. Perhaps she is only tired. Just for a time, she answered, though in uttering the words a remorseful remembrance smote her of the fragile white face of the woman she had left. She will feel stronger again soon. Do you think so? Do you really think so? He leant forward, and Christina saw how his hands were trembling. You see, I feel— I can't help feeling that it is my fault, all my fault. First the old trouble, and then my coming back to Burden. But you are a stranger to us, he exclaimed, breaking off and looking at her with a new alertness. Why did madge send a stranger? Where is Elizabeth? Christina jumping to the conclusion that Elizabeth must be the kindly-faced servant, and anxious to check. The sick man's rising excitement, she said gently, "'She is busy just now, and they sent me because I am a friend, and you may be quite sure that I shall never speak a word to any one of what I see or hear in this house.' "'Then you don't know,' he began breaking off again, and looking at her almost furtively, "'I know nothing,' was the grave response. "'I came here just for to-night to help because—because because Elizabeth is busy. That is all.' To her great relief he accepted her explanation without further questioning, the truth being that his brain, exhausted by illness, refused to work with any rapidity, being ready enough to accept whatever was put before it. And with a weary sigh he turned away from the girl, and held out his thin hands to the fire. "'Now can I fetch you anything, or do anything for you?' Christina asked brightly. "'Try to look upon me as—' as Elizabeth, and let me do for you what she would do if she were here." He turned his eyes on her again. He smiled. "'You are not very like Elizabeth,' he said, his glance taking in the slight figure of its neat green gown. The girlish face, the eager eyes—a very fertile imagination would be needed to see Elizabeth in you. I am afraid I am not half so capable as Elizabeth she said, ignoring the subtle compliment, but I will do my best. "'Will you give me your arm to the bed, then? I am too much of a cripple to walk there alone. But I can get myself into it when I am there, and if you would further be good enough to bring me from the next door some milk and whatever other edibles Elizabeth has prepared for me, I shall be very grateful, though I cannot imagine why Elizabeth is leaving me to a stranger to-night.' He went on with the petulance of a sick child. Christina thought it best to ignore the latter half of this sentence, and having fetched from the dressing-room next door a tray of appetizing viands which she deposited on a table by the bed. She came to the sick man's side to give him the help he needed. It was with great difficulty that he dragged himself from the chair, and the girl's strength was taxed to the utmost to support his weight, which he leaned heavily upon her shoulder. He was considerably taller than he looked when sitting in the chair, and he was so weak and apparently so crippled that his progress across the room was a slow and painful one. Short though the transit from the chair to the bed, his breath became fast as he sunk down upon the pillow, and for several seconds he looked so worn and exhausted that Christina did not dare to leave him. Into the milk put ready for him, she put some brandy from the flask on the tray, and, holding the glass to his lips, was thankful to see that he could drink its contents, and that having done so the colour gradually returned to his face. "'Better now,' he said slowly, opening his sunken eyes and looking at Christina with a smile that gave his face a pathetic wistfulness. "'I shall be all right soon.' "'Can't I do anything more for you?' Christina asked, still troubled by his exhausted looks. "'No, nothing more. Come back in half an hour or so to see if I am all right.' "'Just to console Madge,' he answered, smiling again, as she softly stole away. "'Did he ask many questions? Had he heard anything of what happened? Was he not afraid or upset?' The questions poured out in a torrent from the lips of the white-faced lady in the other room when Christina re-entered it. She was sitting up in the bed, her hands clasped in front of her, her eyes dark with anxiety. He asked very little, Christina answered, and I think he could not have been upset by hearing anything that happened. I am sure he could have heard nothing, she added earnestly. He is going to bed now, and I am to go back presently to see if he is all right. He said it would comfort Madge. A smile flickered over the white face. "'My poor Max!' she whispered under her breath. "'I could not bear it if anything else happened to hurt him. I could not bear it.' The passion in her voice brought a lump in Christina's throat. "'He has had so much to bear. Oh, my God!' Give him peace at the last." The vehement voice died into silence, and Christina, feeling very young and forlorn, and quite unable to cope with the grief and passion so intense, could only stand silently by the bed, her hand just touching the restless hand, and on which a thick wedding-band was the only adornment. "'You don't know what it means to care like that for a man,' the passionate voice spoke again. You are so young. Just a slip of a girl." The woman's eyes rested tenderly, almost sadly, on Christina's face. "'You don't know what it means to care so much for a man that, no matter what he is or does, he is your world—your whole world, do you?' She added, leaning forward and seizing the girl's hands in her own hot ones. "'No,' Christina faltered, whilst unbidden, there flashed into her mind the vision of a rugged man, the two grey eyes full of hidden pain. "'But—I think I can understand,' she ended shyly. "'You dear little girl!' The two hot hands drew her down, and Christina felt a gentle kiss on her cheek. "'Some day you will know.' If I judge your eyes right. Nature did not give you those eyes and that face for nothing. I wonder." The woman's glance suddenly concentrated itself upon the girl. I wonder why something in your face seems to me familiar. Can I ever have seen you before? No. I could not have ever forgotten if I had seen you. Christina answered quickly and the other, though she smiled, still looked into the girl's face with a puzzled expression. Half an hour later Christina, upon whom her responsibilities weighed with double heaviness, now that she had realized the presence of a sick man in the house, went to visit the room along the passage. The patient there was now in bed, and the girl observed that the look of intense exhaustion had left his face, and that he was breathing normally and quietly. "'Tell Madge I am quite all right,' he said. His voice sounded stronger than before. "'Don't let her worry about me. She must rest herself if she is tired. Tell her I shall sleep like a top.' To Christina, the night that followed was one of her most curious experiences. In a strange house with people of whose very names she was ignorant, and about whom hung a mystery— the nature of which was unknown to her. She felt as though she had become a part of a story, or of a puzzling dream, from which she should presently awake in her own bed at Greystone, with Baba's cot beside her. Wrapped in her thick dressing-gown she sat by the fire in the room of the woman, who in her own mind she called the beautiful lady, sometimes turning the leaves of a book she had found on the table sometimes looking dreamily at the flickering flames. In accordance with the doctor's orders she occasionally fed her patient, who, though very wide awake, spoke but little during the long night hours. Christina, by the light of the softly shaded lamp, could see how seldom her companion's eyes were closed, how almost continually they were fixed either upon her or upon the firelit walls. Once or twice she uttered some brief remark— but no word was said that made clear to the watching girl any of the strange happenings in this strange house. But when the gray light of dawn was beginning to steal through the window curtains, the woman in bed said gently, It was wonderfully good of you to come here and take care of me like this. I wonder whether you are thinking you have come into a place of mad people. No, I did not think that. You have taken a great deal on trust, and though it is very much to ask of a stranger, I am going to ask you still to take me on trust. I have not done anything wrong. If it is folly, well, I shall have to pay the price." To this enigmatical sentence, Christina could think of no reply. But she went to the bedside and gently touched the shapely hand on which rested that plain gold band. "'Your eyes tell me you are a faithful soul,' the low voice continued. "'You belong to the race of people who make good friends.' "'I have another good friend in the world, but he—will you still take me on trust?' She ended abruptly, her fingers closing round Christina's hand. I couldn't do anything else. The girl answered quickly, You need not tell me you have done nothing wrong. I know it. Nobody who looked into your face could ever distrust you, she added in a burst of girlish enthusiasm. Some day, if we meet again, and if you care to hear it, you shall hear all my story. But not now. Not now. And you. You will keep silence about everything here. The dark eyes searched her face anxiously. Remember, even the doctor knows nothing. I will keep silence about everything. Christina answered solemnly, stooping for the second time to touch the beautiful face with her lips. End of chapter 10 Recording by Capricia Page